Look, unity is going to be the central message of the Democratic Party. We have to beat Donald Trump. <laughs> and if there's anything Democrats are known for, it's unity. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, w, uh, uh, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week, not that it needs a blanket. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Good to have you here. Good to have you here as well, Ms. Desi Doyen. How oh, are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you for saying so. It's good to be here. Uh, good to have you here. Uh, <laughs> uh, Michelle Goldberg, the uh, New York Times columnist, uh, I think really nailed it in a, in a tweet last night uh, as our president continues really... Another meltdown before all of our eyes and that it seems like we have sort of stopped noticing to some extent this point because he is, you know, has been so crazy for so long every day. But I think it is getting worse. She sort of underscores that idea in this tweet where she said uh, last night, just not long after we got off the air, she said the front page of the New York Times right now looks like one of those 2016 pre-election parodies about what a Donald Trump administration would be like. And then she included a screenshot of the front page of the New York Times. And yeah, it it really does look like a parody. A little apocalyptic, isn't it? Well, it, it, let me just read the headlines off this front page that were, were there last night. Top one, new rule would let U.S. hold migrant families indefinitely. Something you would uh, see in a parody before Donald Trump became president. Next one, NRA gets results in one phone call with the president. Trump accuses Jewish Democrats of disloyalty. Mr. Trump also canceled a meeting with Denmark over its result to sell Greenland. So uh, it just it, it looks like a parody. It looks yeah. like a parody of where we actually are, because that is where we actually are. 
So uh, good luck and God help us all. Speaking of Greenland, Tom Markant, a uh, German-British Euro citizen, as he describes himself on Twitter, says if the U.S. were to buy Greenland, its citizens would most certainly lose their rights to universal health care free higher education, five weeks of annual paid vacation, up to 12 months of paid parental leave, subsidized child care, and more. Better idea? U.S. should become Greenland. <laughs> I kind of like that idea. No kidding. And that's uh, just one reason why I can't imagine anyone in Greenland would have any interest in becoming the United States of America at this point. So, yeah, there's a good idea. The uh, premier of Greenland uh, also had a similar idea. According to the Danish newspaper Politiken, this thanks to a Daily Coast user, uh, for the translation, uh, the premier of Greenland, Kim Kielsen, is considering buying the U.S. back. In a clearly snarky comment, Kielsen pointed out that Leif the Lucky Erickson was the first European to settle America, and as a consequence, Greenland has a prior claim on the country. <laughs> Qu uh, quote. Well, except so, for the Native Americans, of course, but we'll we'll move on. We'll, we'll have that fight another day, Des, <laughs> with your Native American uh, background there. Kielsen says, so it's only natural for the Greenlandic nation to get USA back. Asked about the price, the premier said that they haven't yet decided on a specific price, but that the vast debt of the U.S. would be taken into consideration. And he said, if Trump is included in the deal then the price would be even lower. So <laughs> there you go. But in more reality-based news today, as we also discuss in our latest Green News report coming up a little bit later in the program, two-term Washington State Governor Jay Inslee withdrew from the 2020 Democratic presidential race last night. He had been a long shot for the Democratic nomination but the campaign's focus on climate change uh, arguably helped elevate the issue to a degree that has been unseen in prior election cycles. And I would add his grace and his optimism both during the campaign and during his announcement last night that he would not be running for president earned a lot of respect from a lot of folks. And I think he deserves it. He is. I found him to be incredibly earnest and optimistic, which is really cool right now, and just a likable overall. And it looks like he's going to run for a third term as governor in Washington state. I would say in addition, so yes, in addition to his being earnest and optimistic and likable, he's also very smart and had actually done all of the homework on the science of climate change mm -hmm. and what actually needs to be done to get it done properly. Yeah, no, and he's I, not just like Rick Perry. Oh, I'm very, very friendly, but I'm dumb as a rock. Well, they both wear those dark glasses. They do, and, but they uh, only they, work on Inslee. I they guess. only work on Inslee. I, and I think, by the way, I think that Inslee may become a very, very effective, much beloved uh, spokesperson nationally for the cause of confronting our climate crisis. Since so many people seem to be tired of Al Gore on that front, you know, Jay Inslee could sort of fill that role. I think. He really speaks about it positively and infectiously, I think, which all of which is better than, you know, listening to Al Gore or that uh, grump Desi Doyen on these <laughs> matters all the time. I'm just saying. Uh, so there is that uh, in some other quick presidential slash 2020 related news here today. 
Former Colorado governor and former 2020 presidential candidate John Hickenlooper is now officially launching a bid to topple Republican Senator Cory Gardner uh, in Colorado, widely regarded as one of the most vulnerable GOP members in the chamber who will be up for re-election next year in the important matter of taking back the Senate majority from the irresponsible Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. John Hickenlooper's announcement was not unexpected. It comes about a week after he dropped out of the presidential race himself. In his announcement video, Hickenlooper uh, posted online he shoots pool in the pub that he apparently owns in Colorado, and he's a pretty good pool player, too. He finishes the video by uh, sinking four balls with a single shot. I had to watch it a few times to say, did he really do that? Yes, he really did. That he does at the end of the video uh, while decrying the political nonsense of Washington. When they play games in Washington, D.C., Coloradans take the hit. Trying to knock out protections for pre-existing conditions, that could be devastating for hundreds of thousands of Coloradans. Playing games while prescription drug prices soar, that's costing people more than they can afford. And don't get me started on the shots they're taking at public lands, leaving them to developers instead of sportsmen. I don't think Cory Gardner understands that the games he's playing with Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are hurting the people of Colorado. We ought to be working together to move this country forward and stop the political nonsense. We're running out of time to confront climate change. We've got to help families who are crushed by prescription drug costs. And everybody ought to have a shot at building a better future. I know we can do that. Look, I'm a straight shooter. I've always said Washington was a lousy place for a guy like me who wants to get things done. But this is no time to walk away from the table. I know changing Washington is hard, but I want to give it a shot. I'm not done fighting for the people of Colorado. I'm John Hickenlooper, candidate for United States Senate. I approve this message, and I hope you'll join me in this campaign. Well, there you go. John Hickenlooper is running for Senate instead of president. He may make a better candidate for Senate than he did for president. I found him quite likable in that uh, in that video. Yes, indeed. But he will have a field of Democrats against him a in the primary. A huge field. 11 Democrats in, in that uh, primary race in Colorado. Yep. Several have uh, since confirmed that they plan to stay in despite Hickenlooper's entry into the race. So we could see a good scrap for the Democratic nomination to take on Cory Gardner next year, though I would think that Hickenlooper's uh, high profile as a fairly popular two-term governor until this year, I think he, he finished up in 2019, uh, he is pretty conservative, frankly. His uh, Democratic tendencies in what was once a swing state of Colorado but has been looking more and more blue in recent years. But, you know, who knows? That may work to his advantage in the campaign, particularly a campaign with a lot of people in it, as we are sort of seeing with the more conservative Joe Biden, who has a high profile, but he's running in a race with a lot of people. And so he is, you know, considered to be the front runner. I suspect if there was 
two or three or four people in that race. I mean, if if you look at the numbers, while Joe Biden appears to be way ahead, according to these polls for what they're worth. And remember, these are only national polls, so they're even more meaningless. But if you look at those numbers, which the media seems to be uh, relying on in their determination that he is the front runner, well, you know, you've got he he's got about 28 percent popularity. But if you combine Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, well, they come out with more than 28 percent. If two of the three of them dropped out, I suspect they would be whoever it was would then be the front runner. So in any event, in that's, Colorado. Yeah, that, that's what primaries are for. It is for this shakeout. So, yes, Hickenlooper is going to have quite the shakeout ahead of him. He is. But I think uh, he could be immediately the front runner. We will we will see that despite his, as I say, conservative position. He talks about climate change there. Does not have a great record on that in Colorado when it comes to opening up the state for fossil for the fossil fuel industry. No, but he will because of that, because of his support for the fossil fuel industry and trying to find ways to move forward with regulations with them. He will probably be more attractive to conservative Democrats who want to make sure that the oil and gas industry stays in business. Now, what I really hope to see is that a few other presidential candidates might look at what Hickenlooper is doing here. And that would include uh, Beto O'Rourke and Julian Castro from Texas, and that they might consider dropping out to take on Senator John Cornyn next year there in Texas. Or that Montana's popular governor, Steve Bullock, who won a second term as governor as a Democrat in 2016 on the very same ballot where Donald Trump won that year in Montana by 20 points, that he might also consider dropping out of the presidential race to take on Republican Senator Steve Daines in Montana next year. That would be good. And, of course, I still hold out hope that uh, Stacey Abrams might take on uh, the Republican senators, uh, not Sonny Perdue. Who's the other Perdue? Uh, David Perdue. David Perdue uh, in Georgia, who's on the ballot next year, and help flip that state that seat from uh, red to blue, uh, you know, without a Senate majority in 2021, if you still have Mitch McConnell in charge, it'll be damn difficult to get anything done that these presidential candidates want to do on climate, on health care, on guns, on election security, on all of the problems this country faces, even if. Democrats managed to win back the White House. If you've got the grim, grim reaper in there in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, which is what he calls himself, blocking everything, then you don't get very far. So uh, the Senate is as important as the White House next year. Well, close to as important. And I wish the Democrats were taking that imperative much more seriously. And finally, before we get to a quick break uh, and discuss some of the serious concerns about even having a clean election next year, in just a bit more presidential election news here on the Republican side, former Congressman Joe Walsh told Politico on Wednesday that he is confident he can secure the resources to challenge Donald Trump for the Republican Party nomination in 2020. His comments came just hours after the New York Times and the Washington Post reported that Walsh was expected to announce his candidacy to primary Donald Trump. 
The one-term Tea Party right-winger turned talk radio host would join former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld in challenging Donald Trump for the nomination. Politico reported that sources close to Walsh told the news outlet he was privately confirming he would, in fact, announce his presidential bid this weekend. Trump could also still face other so-called conservative challengers, according to The Post, which uh, reports that South Carolina Congressman, uh, Governor and Appalachian Trail hiker Mark Sanford is considering getting in the race. Former Arizona Senator Jeff Flake is still considering doing so, according to The Post. And former Ohio Governor John Kasich. All of them are considering entering the race still at this point. And boy, do I wish they would. No matter what I may feel about any of those folks, Frankly, I think they would be doing a service to the country by forcing a real challenge and, you know, actual debates and stuff on the GOP side this year. I'd very much like to see that. Walsh, for his part, uh, laid the groundwork for this run at the presidency. If it, in fact, comes about, we'll find out over the weekend. Uh, In his New York Times op-ed last week, where he stated the case for a contender against Trump, From the right, he had regarded Bill Weld as challenging Donald Trump from the left. Walsh thinks he can uh, challenge Trump from the right. In that scathing op-ed, frankly, Walsh writes, among other things, uh, Mr. Trump has increased the deficit more than $100 billion year over year. It's now nearing $1 trillion, and we hear not a word of protest from my former Republican colleagues. He abuses the Constitution for his narcissistic trade war. Trump's tariffs are a tax increase on middle-class Americans and are devastating to our farmers. It's one of the many reasons Mr. Trump is ripe for a primary challenger. In Mr. Trump, I see the worst and ugliest iteration of views I expressed for the better part of a decade. To be sure, he writes, I've had my share of controversy on more than one occasion. I questioned Mr. Obama's truthfulness about his religion. At times, I expressed hate for my political opponents. We now see where this can lead. There's no place in our politics for personal attacks like that, and I regret making them. Good for him. And by the way, I follow Joe Walsh. Uh, We have talked back and forth over the years at various times on Twitter. And you've been able to see his transformation, which I think is a real one. He used to be an absolute bonkers, bonkers, dope, hothead. Uh, uh, kind who, of a screamer, a screamer who did not pay his child support. So I'm not saying he's a good person, but I do believe that his change here is sincere because I've seen it over time on Twitter. He says, I didn't vote for Mr. Trump in 2016 because I liked him. I voted for him because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. Once he was elected, I gave him a fair hearing and tried to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I soon realized that I couldn't support him because of the danger he poses to the country, especially the division he sows at every chance, culminating a few weeks ago in his ugly racist attack on four minority congresswomen. The fact is, Mr. Trump is a racial arsonist who encourages bigotry and xenophobia to rouse his base and advance his electoral prospects. Republicans should view Mr. Trump as the liability that he is, no matter his flag hugging or his military parades. He is no patriot. 
He has been at war with our federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies as he embraces tyrants abroad and embarrasses our allies. That, says Joe Walsh, of all people, is un-American. And despite what his enablers claim, Mr. Trump isn't a conservative. Thank you very much, Mr. Walsh. He's reckless on fiscal issues. He's incompetent on the border. He's clueless on trade. He misunderstands executive power and he subverts the rule of law. Wow, right? Mr. Trump has taken the legitimate differences that Americans have on policy and turned them into personal division. He's caused me to change my tone and to reflect upon where I went over the line and to focus on policy differences moving forward. Do, do you buy it? Do you, are you... Are you, I don't know. Are you biting at what um, he's selling? I don't know. All right. You're looking dubious over there. Well, you know, as you say, I have also noticed that he's had a change in yeah. his approach to at least his public comments. So I will grant that. That has been well, listen, sustained over time. I'm not endorsing him no, for president. I'm just saying that uh, I think this would be good to have this kind of a voice challenging Donald Trump Agreed. Uh, over the next several months. Uh, he concludes by saying we need someone who could stand up, look the president in the eye and say, enough, sir. We have had enough of your indecency. We've had enough of your lies, your bullying, your cruelty, enough of your insults, your daily drama, your incitement, enough of the danger you place this country in every single day. We don't want any of this anymore, and the country certainly can't stand four more years of it. Powerful op-ed. I hope he steps up. I hope so, too, actually. So uh, there you go. And, of course, that's going to make Donald Trump even crazier, I suspect, as Walsh gets in and as others get in. But we will see. Uh, so, you know, more bad news probably to uh, ruin Donald Trump's day, which in turn ruins all of our days. And so I really do hope we talked about a little bit yesterday that the vice president and Donald Trump's cabinet are familiarizing themselves at this point with the 25th Amendment. Yes, it may still be needed to remove this guy any day now. All right. Speaking of removing this guy, a quick break and we will uh, get to some both troubling and encouraging news about exactly that. Removing this guy, probably more troubling than encouraging, but we'll see. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. If you close your eyes, does it almost feel like nothing changed at all? Yes, yes it does. 
Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The great state of Texas, Desi's home state, yep. is the latest state to be hit with a cyber attack, with state officials confirming this week that computer systems in 22 municipalities have been infiltrated by hackers demanding a ransom. 22 municipalities. A mayor of one of those cities said the attackers are asking for $2.5 million to unlock the files. The FBI and state cybersecurity experts are examining the ongoing breach, which began last Friday morning, has mostly affected smaller local governments, reportedly. Officials have not disclosed which uh, are the specific places affected. Investigators have also not yet identified who or what is behind the attack that took the systems offline. But the Texas Department of Information Resources says the evidence so far points to, quote, one single threat actor. Okay, a spokesperson for the department said that he was, quote, not aware of any of the cities having paid the undisclosed ransom sought by the hackers. He said the areas impacted are predominantly rural. Officials have not disclosed which specific places, but two cities so far have come forward to say their computer systems were affected. Officials in Borger, in the Texas panhandle, I think that's how you say it, Borger, said that the attack has affected city business and financial operations. Birth and death certificates are not available online anymore, and the city cannot accept utility payments from any of its 13,250 residents because of this. Since last Friday, responders have not yet established a time frame for when full normal operations will be restored, according to city officials. And Keene, Texas, is the other place uh, that has uh, come forward, a city of some 6,100 people outside of Fort Worth. Have you heard of Keene, Texas? Yes. And it's a shame because these are tiny towns that really do not have this kind of money to deal with this. Yeah, they were also hit. The city's government is also unable to process utility payments at all. Keene Mayor Gary Heinrich told NPR that the hackers broke into the uh, information technology software used by the city and managed by an outsourced company, which he said also supports many of the other municipalities that were targeted. So it sounds like they got into one of the outside contracting companies, probably with a phishing email just as we saw with that voter registration services company described in the Robert Mueller special counsel report in the 2016 election, and that was later confirmed by the uh, Republican governor of Florida, who said that company was, uh, well, that there were two counties serviced by that company that were affected in Florida before 2016. Uh, and so they got to this one company, and then they had access, apparently, to all of the municipalities that this one private contractor serves, just like with that voter registration company named VR Systems. Though we still don't know the extent of the voter registration databases that were affected by the VR Systems hack in 2016, because frankly, nobody seems to be checking. A few weeks ago, you may recall, we mentioned that North Carolina finally had uh, won an agreement from the FBI to come in and look at the state's 2016 voter registration computers since they had 
unexplained failures on Election Day back in 2016 in that very closely divided swing state on Election Day, presidential Election Day. And so just now, two and a half years later, after the 2016 election, the state has finally uh, decided or got the FBI to agree to come in and take a look at their systems and see if they may also have been affected the way uh, the way that Florida was. And this is a state, North Dakota, that has gone back and forth between Democrats and Republicans. North Carolina. What, uh, North Dakota? <laughs> yeah. North Carolina has gone back and forth in recent years uh, between the Republican nominee for president and the Democratic nominee for president, where you saw in 2016 precincts in at least one of the state's largest counties saw the voter registration, the electronic voter registration system, the electronic poll books, we saw them fail. That led to long lines. People were leaving without being able to vote. Mind you, Barack Obama won that state back in 2008 by just a couple of thousand votes. So when something like this happens in a state like North Carolina, that can have a huge effect. You know, and so if you get to just one contractor, in this case, VR systems, and if you can affect their computers, then you can potentially affect all of the jurisdictions with whom these contractors are contracted. As Donald Trump would say, not good. The uh, mayor of uh, Keene, Texas, Mayor Heinrich, told NPR just about everything we do at City Hall is impacted by this. He said that the hackers want a collective ransom of two and a half million dollars. Before they, will leave, before they will allow any access to the city's own computers again. They were knocked down. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Baltimore, a huge city, had the exact same problem. Mayor Heinrich said they got into our software provider, the guys who run our IT systems. A lot of folks in Texas, he said, use providers to do that because we don't have a, a staff big enough to have our own IT staff in-house. Heinrich said there is no way that his city will be coughing up anything for the hackers. He called them stupid people. You, you know, just no sense in this at all, describing the cyber attackers. But who's the stupid one here? The attackers are the ones who fell for their, their attacks. The ones who, uh, you know, may have opened those emails that were sent to them with an offer for a free Chick-fil-A. But then again, they can also send you emails that are very convincing fakes mm -hmm. and send you to a website that you think you know okay. where you're going so because if, you're in such a hurry. If they're correct. And so if they're not so stupid for falling for those uh, convincing attacks, maybe the stupid ones are the ones who put all of their eggs into one single contractor's basket. Well, that I'll grant you. Thank you. Experts say that while government agencies have increasingly hit by cyber attacks, simultaneously targeting nearly two dozen cities represents a new kind of digital assault. What's unique about this attack and something we hadn't seen before is how coordinated it is, said the uh, threat intelligence analyst Alan Liska. It does present a new front in the ransomware attack, he said. It is absolutely the largest coordinated attack that we have seen. Liska's research firm called Recorded Future has found that ransomware attacks aimed at state and local governments have been on the rise, finding at least 169 examples of hackers breaking into government computer systems 
Since 2013, there have more there have been more than 60 already this year, he said. So I suspect you see where all of this is going, right? This is the broadcast after all. Well, we'll get there in a second. In recent months, the data networks of Baltimore, the Georgia courts system, and a county in Utah have all been hit by hit by ransomware. The hacker bait comes in the form of these seemingly benign emails that Desi is forgiving people for clicking on to get that free Chick-fil-A. Uh, and once they open an attachment or they click on it, then that can infect a system and pass itself to the entire networked municipality's computer system. There are other popular ways of tapping into government networks, according to Liska, like through remote desktop systems, which can also be vulnerable to hackers. So you mean like those voting and tabulation systems that are just hanging out there on the Internet for years on end, like the ones that we discussed on last week's, uh, frankly, chilling program with cybersecurity journalist Kim Zetter? After she reported at Vice at the time uh, that, uh, uh, among other places, they were able to find these systems just hanging out there, these election systems, these tabulation systems, just hanging out there on the Internet. Nine Wisconsin counties, four Michigan counties, seven Florida counties, all states that are perennial background uh, battlegrounds in presidential elections. Some of the systems she discovered had been online for a year and possibly longer. They were just found just hanging there online in about 10 different states just a week or two ago, even without any active elections currently in sight right now. These systems were all online. If you missed that show, by the way, with Kim Zetter, uh, you should download it. Uh, it's for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to our supporters at bradblog.com slash donate. And you can listen to that and be very concerned about where we may be headed now in 2020. While the attackers in, uh, in these sorts of attacks tend to be anonymous, NPR writes and their locations undisclosed, Liska said his research has found that few are based in the U.S. Many, he said, are breaching local government computer systems from operations based in parts of Eastern Europe or Russia. And sometimes local governments see no other option to restoring their crippled networks than to pay ransom demanded by hackers. In Lake City, Florida, a town of about 12,000 residents, officials paid $460,000 in the form of Bitcoin, which is the preferred payment among these cyber criminals. A recent study by Liska's firm found that about 17 percent of local agencies who are hit with ransomware viruses end up paying up 17 percent, a practice that federal law enforcement officials discourage, saying it incentivize cyber criminals to keep engaging in the activity. And that is true. But these cities, if they can't unlock their own computer networks, they have to provide crucial services across the city and they have to do something. Yeah, it'd be amazing if maybe Congress could take that money that they were being required to pay and ransom and instead just give the cities that money in advance so they could beef up their yeah, they could IT protect systems. against this sort of thing. But no, we can't do that. We no. got to wait till after the No, we the can't problem. do that. We can't do anything uh, in the federal government. Don't be silly. 
Uh, Liska said in cities that he has worked with uh, that have been preyed upon by hackers, there are instances in which ponying up for the return of data is the only viable option. He says uh, sometimes if the bad guys have, you know, if the backups aren't working or if the bad guys have encrypted your backups as well, then that's all you are left with. He says we thought this was a big city problem uh, or at least for, you know, affluent cities or counties. But I think what's clear now is that just about any local government is vulnerable. Individual businesses and institutions such as hospitals have been targeted for years by these ransomware attacks. But now they're coming on state and city governments and local officials are rushing to secure their computer systems. Always nice for them to rush to uh, secure your systems after the damage has already been done. So good luck with that. Of course, it makes uh, sense that more and more states and counties around the country with this sort of thing in mind are now relying more and more on computers instead of hand-marked paper ballots, which can't be hacked, for voting in elections on Election Day, which is one single day. And they're relying on computers for signing people in on Election Day, electronic poll books instead of paper poll books. Can you even imagine what would happen if a similar attack coordinated or otherwise, if it's just even if it's just one county? You know, if you hit a key jurisdiction in Ohio or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Michigan or Florida on Election Day, when there are no do overs, if they were knocked out, if that network went down, why the hell are we relying on this kind of system that we know is so vulnerable? I mean, they would have no chance to work things out over the next few weeks, as these uh, municipalities are trying to do when it comes to their city government. You have to get it right on Election Day. You, you, there's no chance to rely on backup systems because most precincts. Uh, that rely on computer voting and poll books do not and electronic poll books do not have any backups there. They don't have a plan B for hand marked paper ballots and paper poll books to sign voters into. I have been warning about this for years and we have seen the problem come up in election after election. And you could see it on a huge scale, depending on how things go next year, as these ransomware attacks are getting more popular. So uh, should we be more worried about this? I would say so, yes. And yet, despite this, despite what we know, states like Georgia and major cities in, in key swing states like Philadelphia and huge counties like Los Angeles County, where I live and where I vote, a county that is larger on its own than the majority of, of the states in the union, just as one county alone, we all continue to move forward with this insanity to make our systems more and more reliant on computers. And uh, all of this is receiving very little coverage from the media or from the 2020 candidates. Pretty much you can only hear about it here. You can hear the warnings here. Now, a few days ago, we told you about the so far successful citizen initiative in the state of Georgia, where petitioners invoked a rarely used, little known statute in the elections code to force a second review of Georgia's 
brand new 100% unverifiable touchscreen computer ballot marking device, or BMD, that is now slated for use for the first time in next year's presidential election. That after a federal judge last week ordered their old touchscreen systems that they have been using for 20 years. The judge found them so bad and so vulnerable to malicious attacks and failures that they must never be used again after 2019, according to the federal judge. It violates the voters' constitutional right to have their votes counted as cast, she said. And instead of moving, as she seemed to recommend in her 153-page order to hand-marked paper ballots, Georgia and its Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, has decided to move to an, an all-new unverifiable touchscreen computer voting system. Well, we have an update on that story of those uh, citizens who filed that petition to get a second review of this just now certified system. I think it was certified just about a week or so ago, this new system that is supposed to be coming into Georgia across the entire state in 2020. Uh, this comes from uh, Who, What, Why's Gabriella Novella. She writes, experts have warned that Georgia's newly purchased voting systems can be hacked and can add fake votes to the machine marked paper ballots after they have been cast. And thank you, Gabriella, for putting paper ballots in quotes because they are computer marked. They're not hand marked. Because of these problems and because the systems were never properly tested, activists have demanded that Republican Secretary of State Rappensberger retest the machines. Jordan Fuchs, the deputy secretary of state, told Who, What, Why in an emailed statement, we will comply with the legal requirements to conduct a reexamination, but the activists requesting the reexamination will have to pay for it themselves. We have not yet posted the cost for the reexamination, he said, because this system was just procured and just certified. We are currently reviewing how the reexamination should proceed and what the cost will be. He said that requesting a reexamination of the new voting system almost immediately after it was certified, as I say, it was just certified about a week ago, is, quote, a waste of everyone's time and resources. Really? Are you sure about that, Mr. Fuchs? He said at some point these activists need to accept that the Georgia General Assembly did not agree with their policy preferences. So the policy preferences that Fuchs seems to be referring to here from the Georgia Secretary of State's office are the calls by a multi-partisan coalition who want actually verifiable hand-marked paper ballots for all voters of all political persuasions in Georgia. That's the, quote, policy preference, as uh, Fuke apparently sees this. The uh, Dominion Image Cast voting system, which uh, Secretary of State certified on August 9, is a ballot marking device, or BMD, that election integrity experts have raised concern about for, concerns about for years. Georgia law requires official ballots to be, quote, human readable, but the BMDs hold the official tally on unreadable barcodes. And that is true for Georgia's system. That is true for the one coming to Los Angeles County. That is true for the one in Philadelphia. You might, maybe, a voter maybe can try to verify the human-readable portion of the computer-marked and printed ballot, but that's not even tallied by the system. 
it uses the barcode, which humans cannot read. Marilyn Marks uh, is quoted here. She is the executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance and the co-sponsor of the petition and also a frequent guest on the broadcast. And by the way, she is a Republican. Just FYI. She called Raffensperger's intention to charge petitioners for the reexamination an absurd and irrational response from a public official who failed to do the most basic parts of his job to determine if this is secure and legal, if this is a secure and legally compliant system. She says Raffensperger skipped numerous required steps in the legally mandated certification process. But Fuchs also said in his statement that the reexamination would not interfere. Yes, we'll do it because we have to, but it will not interfere with the implementation of this new ballot system by next year's March 24 presidential primary election. So, in other words, no matter what his examination finds, even though in theory they do not yet know what they are going to find, even though we don't know, we're going to force voters to vote unfair, unverifiably on them anyway next year in a presidential election in the very much swing state of Georgia, according to the Republican Secretary of State's office. Marx uh, said she was uh, dismayed and confused to hear the secretary has prejudged the results of the required examination. Just 10 signatures are necessary to trigger it, but more than 1,400 voters and elected officials submitted a petition on Monday seeking this, uh, claiming that the original certification did not do any security testing. And uh, that's not unusual. What you need to know here is that most such certifications of voting systems, when you hear, oh, these are certified by the elections assistant, the federal U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, uh, whether it's at the federal level or at the state level, state certified, we have the most rigorous tests. In fact, they don't. They test for usability, for functionality, but they almost never test for actual security in any of these systems. Uh, they check, you know, to see, oh, does it turn on? Good. Does it turn off? Good. Does the touchscreen respond when someone touches it? Oh, good. Does the optical scan computer uh, properly take a ballot through it and read it? Oh, good. System certified. They do not check to see if it can be penetrated. As noted, a number of jurisdictions are fighting this very same issue, not just Georgia. Uh, New York has uh, required a new review of newly certified BMD voting systems in the state. Philadelphia has announced they would be doing the same, if I recall correctly. And here in Los Angeles, we're facing a similar problem with the new unverifiable touchscreen systems that are being rolled out instead of hand-marked paper ballots for the first time in next year's uh, March 3rd Super Tuesday primary. Just three days, by the way, this March 3rd, the Super Tuesday is coming just three days after the South Carolina primary. And we have been having a very hard time here getting information from the registrar recorder county clerk, a man by the name of Dean Logan, who's been on the show over the years. He has declined to come on this show lately for some reason, but we're trying to get information about the new systems. Uh, and we're reaching him at least on Twitter a little bit. Got a couple of quick news items there on that front. Harry Hursty, the legendary cybersecurity guy from Finland who uh, developed the very first hack of a Diebold touchscreen system more than a decade ago now. Uh, he now runs the annual DEFCON Voter Village. 
uh, where hackers and cybersecurity professionals gather to hack into voting machines over a weekend in uh, in Las Vegas, often very easily uh, accomplishing that task. Harry Hursty has now agreed that he will be willing to come in and examine Los Angeles's new unverifiable voting systems, brand new, never before used in any other jurisdiction. This after a query on Twitter from a local filmmaker and activist to find out if he would be willing to come in and test L.A.'s new systems. He says, sure. He tweeted, if there's an invitation from the L.A. County Registrar Recorder County Clerk, I am happy to talk with him how to organize that. We have been involved pulling together that kind of things. He's got a accent. Well, yes, English is not his first right. language. Uh, so he's happy to do that. And uh, we're all sort of waiting online on Twitter to find out if Dean Logan will accept that offer, which he says these systems are secure. So why wouldn't he want Harry Hursty to come in and give him the once over? Maybe because Hursty has found major vulnerabilities in pretty much every system that he has ever been allowed to examine. But still, Logan says these are, you know, secure and they're going to be used by more than five million voters in the nation's largest voting jurisdiction. You would think you would want to have an adversarial security test. So, uh, so far, no. Uh, and one other point on this, uh, well, not no, but Logan has not responded, uh, and he is often very responsive on Twitter when he wants to be, uh, but he has not yet accepted Hursty's generous offer. Also, Dean Logan will not yet confirm, and I'm waiting for him on this as well on the Twitters, whether hand-marked paper ballots will be available to voters at the county's new voting centers that are being deployed for the first time on March 3 next year, where they're going to put in these touchscreen systems. In the past, it has been every voter's right in California to get a hand-marked paper ballot, if they would like, at the precincts. I've been asking them, will we be entitled to that next year? So far, no answer from Dean Logan. I'm asking, uh, Mimi Kennedy is asking, she's a an activist with the Progressive Democrats of America. You might know her as an actress from uh, CBS's Mom. She's also been on the show. So um, press your local officials. Educate yourself and press them. It is the people on the ground who are going to save this thing, not the media, not the candidates. It's going to be you and I. Thanks for your help as we all press ahead together. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your broadcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. You know, Desi Doyen, uh, even without a guest, I managed to run long on every broadcast. <laughs> yes, Sorry I know. It's that. just because there Sorry. is just too much. There is too Sorry. much. Sorry. Uh, by the way, on our next thrilling broadcast, I hope we'll have somebody here who was at uh, DEF CON in Las Vegas, by the way, uh, and also to give us uh, some idea of a practical thing that people can do on the ground wherever oh, they live. Uh, to help oversee the 2020 election. All right, but before we get there, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. The agency says as of Tuesday, 
It had counted more than 74,000 fires. Record wildfires from the Amazon rainforest to the Arctic North. Alaska is so warm, salmon are dying in rivers. Teen climate activist sails for New York City in a solar-powered boat. Plus... It's become clear that I'm not going to be carrying the ball. I'm not going to be the president, so I'm withdrawing tonight from the race. The 2020 Democratic climate change candidate drops out. All of those disappointments and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Look, I've been fighting climate change for 25 years, Mm -hmm. and I've never been so confident of the ability of America now to meet critical mass to move the ball. Well, I'm glad you're confident, Jay Inslee. You should run for president. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, very sad news. I know he was never actually going to become president, but I think it was really important for Jay Inslee to be in the race for the Democratic nomination. Yes, and he did succeed in driving climate change into those debates pretty much for the first time in U.S. presidential campaign history. Mm-hmm. Washington Governor Jay Inslee, the 2020 Democratic presidential candidate who made the climate crisis his primary focus and released the most comprehensive plans for solving it, did drop out of the race on Wednesday. He met the donor threshold, but not the polling threshold in time to qualify for the next round of debates hosted by the Democratic National Committee. That means that Inslee will not participate in special climate forums on CNN and MSNBC in September. But he really did force everyone else in the race, well, not everyone, but many of the other candidates to move forward with big climate plans. So I I do think he accomplished something there. And he'd make a great EPA administrator. Yes, he would. Meanwhile, global warming is turbocharging wildfire season around the globe, with massive fires burning in Alaska, Greenland, Siberia, and the Canary Islands. But the most alarming fires are in the Amazon rainforest in South America, where Brazil has seen a record number of fires this year. As of Tuesday, more than 74,000 blazes, an 84% increase over the same period last year. Satellites show a new fire starting every minute across the Amazon. Smoke from the fires can be seen from space. Conservation groups blame Brazil's right-wing president Jair Bolsonaro for the shocking increase in deforestation because of his deregulation and policies opening up the Amazon rainforest to more logging, mining, and cattle production. Nonprofit group Amazon Watch says farmers are explicitly telling Brazilian media that Bolsonaro has encouraged them to clear more forests. Mm. And like Trump, Bolsonaro is a climate change denier, of course. The Amazon rainforest generates 20% of the planet's oxygen. And as climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann noted on MSNBC, these fires are releasing even more carbon into the atmosphere, creating a self-reinforcing feedback loop that causes more warming, which in turn causes more fires. The Amazon is supposed to be a carbon sink. It's supposed to be helping us with climate change by taking carbon out of the atmosphere. And instead, we are turning it into a source, which means we're accelerating the buildup of these greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, worsening climate change as a result of that. In Alaska, record high temperatures for more than 50 days in a row have created tinderbox conditions with more than two and a half million acres burning. And these rising temperatures are hammering the state's wildlife and its commercial salmon industry. That's according to G. 
Jeannie Devon, communications director for the Alaska Democratic Party, in an interview on the broadcast. We have wildlife issues where salmon by the thousands are having heart attacks because the water is so warm that they can't make it to their spawning grounds. They don't survive. They just die in the rivers. Walruses are having problems. Polar bears are having problems. I mean, it's it's catastrophic. But some good news. Scientists at the Florida Aquarium in Tampa say that they have hit upon a breakthrough for the first time ever succeeding in getting an endangered Atlantic Ocean coral to spawn in a laboratory. That could save the state's endangered coral reefs from climate change and disease. And finally, Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg is right now crossing the Atlantic Ocean from Europe to New York City on a solar-powered, zero-emissions racing ship to lead the global climate strike. Those are massive demonstrations that are scheduled around the world on September 20th and 27th to coincide with the United Nations General Assembly. The global climate strike was inspired by Thunberg's school strike for climate movement that has galvanized children around the world to demand that their governments act on climate change. Do you suppose she'll have the same success in lighting a figurative fire under American politicians as she has in Europe? One hopes. We'll see. Travel safely, Greta. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Rock the boat. Don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat. I don't tip the boat over. Rock the boat. I don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat. Oh, Greta Thunberg. She's about three quarters of the way across the ocean now, I think. Almost Last there. Last I checked, yeah. Uh, you have a, a quick update for us on whether or not there will be a Democratic presidential primary debate focused on the climate? Correct. I have an update. There will not be one. <laughs> Is that right? Now, there's a chance that they could change their minds. The activists are going to try to hit the uh, general committee meeting uh, over the weekend. But right now, as it stands, DNC has voted down a climate-focused only debate. DNC, no climate-focused debate. There will be two town halls on the matter, however, yes. uh, coming up on N- uh, CNN and MSNBC in and, September. Yes. And I'm sure Fox News will be running their own <laughs> any minute. All right. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer. And thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free and en- or enjoy it all over again from bradblog.com. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who helped Desi and me stay on your public airwaves each and every day by stopping at bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Rock the ball, don't rock the ball.